there are more prophecies about the nation of Israel than any other nation because Israel has a God-given destiny and is a chosen nation. If you know your Bible, you have to love Israel. Well, we just returned from our End Time Israel tour on Sunday, and I'm going to provide you with a, kind of a brief overview of that journey on this edition of the End Time Show. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. Wow, what a trip we had in Israel. God really was with us. We felt His presence in many places, and we had great moves of the Holy Ghost. And I know that people's lives were changed. And that's really the goal of all of this. I mean... We can talk about world government, world religion, the mark of the beast, I mean, the peace agreement, the third temple. It is neat to talk about all of that. But if your life is not changed because of all these things and talking about them and knowing that the Lord's coming very soon, and if your life is not changed in all of this, then what's the point, right? I mean, we're all wanting to prepare ourselves for the soon return of the Lord whether He comes for you or me tomorrow or in just a few years when the rapture occurs and we go to be with Him for the 1,000-year millennial reign and then on the other side of the great white throne judgment into eternity, I've got to prepare myself for the soon return of the Lord. And so I told you that we just recently returned from our Israel tour, the end-time Israel tour, for two weeks And what a tour that we had. Many people's lives were changed. Um, We had so many moves of God at the different sites, out on the Jesus boat, out on the Sea of Galilee. We had um, in the upper room, at the tomb, um, especially in the baptisms. And we'll get to some of that as we go throughout today. But I wanted to make sure and give you kind of like a recap of our tour because many of you, we've already got a lot of people signed up to go with us in October. And many of you have expressed interest in going. And maybe some of, some of you will never go. I, I, I hope you get the chance to. But there, it may not be feasible for you to go at some point in your life. And I wanted to kind of bring the Bible alive for you today. Because that's what the Bible, that's what the, a trip to Israel does. You've read about it your whole life. But until you go there... It's a whole different experience. And so, one, one of the things that I kept telling our recent, this, uh, our recent group here is that God has always had a plan in the earth, and, and he is, He's been working it since the beginning. And He's working it right now in the earth. Everyone throughout time that have aligned themselves with and obeyed God's plan that he was working, no matter what the circumstance. Doesn't matter if it was a flood, or if if it was a Red Sea, or what it was. Anybody who aligned themselves with God's plan was saved. 
And so that's the way it is today. Even today, those of us here in America who have a, we're living under a very corrupt president, along with a, a deep state in the establishment. I mean, just, you know, they, we could have, gas prices could be $1.50 a gallon this afternoon if they would just change the way that they're uh, trying to push their agendas and allow us to start drilling and drilling oil, and, and, and we got to the point under Donald Trump where we were exporting energy. But yet, because we have this deep state and establishment that's trying to weaken America in, in every facet, then gas prices go up, inflation, prices go up, and I mean, it's just, it's chaos. But even during all of that, if we will align ourselves with God's plan in the earth, we can be saved in, in spite of it all. And that's the ultimate goal. The problem is, is that most folks are not getting on board with God's plan. And that's a problem. And so that's why, you know, most, most folks today, they're not reading their Bible. They're not, they don't have a prayer life. They're not attending church. And so you got a problem here. I mean, I deal with people all the time that call in and, and uh, you know, want to kind of pull me off of what we teach or uh, move me off of the foundations that have been built in my life as far as doctrine goes and our prophecy teachings and things like that. And, you know, I've got to tell them, I'm, I, I, I'll have an open mind as long as it aligns up with the Word of God. You try to move me off the Word of God, that's never going to happen. The Bible says, hold to those doctrines and... Because in doing so, you will save yourself and them that hear you. The doctrines are of, they're essential to salvation. Now, I know a lot of people today are dealing with, that, that are saying that all doctrines um, have caused division in the body of Christ. Doctrines do not cause division in the body of Christ. The doctrines of the Bible don't. It's because people are not aligning themselves up to those doctrines and they don't want to, then they say, well, those doctrines have caused division. But the Bible, God is not, God does not um, bring division and confusion. The Bible is here to, to really uh, a cure for all of that. But there's so many people that want to push their own agendas and because of their own lust and different things, then they would say, well, those doctrines, let's just, let's just sweep them under the rug and, you know, God will sort that out someday and let's just all love each other. No, the Bible, the doctrines are here to help save us. And so, but because people don't want to teach the doctrines in, in church, teach and preach the doctrines that in every verse of the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, because they think, well, maybe this might offend somebody, so I can't talk about that. That's not the way it's supposed to work. If a man of God or a woman of God stands in a pulpit and preaches against sin, that's what we're supposed to do. You're called by God to preach the Word of God. Now, if you get up and hammer, hammer sin every time you get in the pulpit, people are going to scratch their head and go, man, what's this guy really trying to do? But occasionally, you need to hit on it. Because people sin separates people from God. And God came to reconcile. The Bible says... Um, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Him. Sin separates people from God. 
So you've got to talk on sin. If you're going to change people's lives, you've got to tell them, you, got to, you can't do that. You can't do that. And some things they, you know, they need to, people need to know. And if you never teach it, you never preach it, then, uh, you know, everything's falling apart at that point, right? So, wow. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about it when we get back. We're going to talk about our Israel tour. But, man, some of the things that I'm seeing and some emails that I'm getting and some different things. Folks, we've got to stick with the Word of God. That's what's going to take us to heaven. This is The, the Word of God's our roadmap on how to get to heaven. We've got to stay focused on that. Okay, back to the Israel trip uh, on the other side of the break. God bless you all, and I wish you could all go with us at some point. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 Time. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning End Time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Now, one of the things that we need to do here in the end time is we've got to stay focused on God and His plan in the earth. A lot of people have a, they're aware of God. And they know that, they believe there's a God out there somewhere, somehow, some way they've heard about it, but they don't have a God consciousness. If God was to speak to them and kind of urge them to do something, well, 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 I can't do that because I'm doing, you know, whatever. But I want us to make sure that we're staying focused on God because if I'm going to spend eternity with Him, i got to have a relationship with Him. And, you know, going to Israel many times, either I've seen it, they, it either focuses people back on God who might have maybe drifted a little bit or it introduces people to God who may never have had a relationship with Him in the first place. And being around um, uh, uh, myself, my wife, and, and 
the different team members that go with us, uh, Doug Norvell and his wife went with us this time. Um, this is our goal on the trip. We're wanting to prepare you to meet Jesus, right? So we need to help you with a relationship with Him. Some people don't know how to have a relationship with God. It's totally foreign to them. But when we go on the trip, we talk about the things of God, and we're standing on the sites, uh, the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, and all these different sites, it helps to bring the Bible alive to people. And they say, oh my goodness, there really is a God. And His Word is true. And so, when we start out uh, the tour, our tours start out in Jerusalem and end up in Tiberias, where the Sea of Galilee is. Most tours that you go on will start up in, a, in Tiberias and end up in Jerusalem. We do it opposite. Because the baptisms is the highlight of the tour for us. And I want to be able to teach people what's coming and what's going on and about salvation and all these different things throughout our tour. And what really happened on Calvary. And, and so that way when we get up to Tiberias, people know exactly what's going on and how to be, um, to be really in tune with the Lord. And we've had great moves of God all throughout the trip. I don't want to end up in Jerusalem. I want to end up in up in Tiberias where the baptism is going to take place. Now, so what we do, we start out at the Mount of Olives. There are three significant events that we talk about on the Mount of Olives. I usually leave one until we get down to the Kidron Valley. But the first day, we'll start right up on the Mount of Olives. Of course, you remember where um, Jesus talked in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. He was, he was from up near Galilee, uh, but he came down to one of the feasts, and they were showing him the temples. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Though he's going to throw cold water in their face. He says, Verily I say unto you, There shall not be here left one uh, stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And I, I mean, you, it's just shocking to them. And the Bible says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, he takes them over and he said, guys, I need to talk to you about a few things. So they go, they go from the Temple Mount, down the Kidron Valley, back up the other side of the Mount of Olives. we got to talk. And the Bible says, as, he, as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, hey, Lord, tell us, when, when are these things going to be? What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age there? And so in Matthew 24 and 25, he talks about things that will occur at the time of his second coming and just prior to that. The things about the end of the age. So it's, one of the, it's probably the most famous prophecy chapter in the entire Bible. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Well, we talk about that on the first day. Also, in Acts chapter 4, verse 4 through 12, the Bible says, um, in, and, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Uh, no, this would be uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 12. Um, he was gathered together with them. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days since. It's the first time the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. So he's telling them, I don't want you guys to go back up to Galilee, where you're from. Don't go fishing. Don't go back to all your other uh, occupations. 
And he says in verse 6, When you therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Now, you realize Jesus had already died, been buried, rose again. This is his immortal body. And they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? They didn't understand the prophecies of the Bible concerning the end time. And he said unto them, It's not for you guys to know the times and the seasons, which the Father has put in his own power. But you are going to be, receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. When he was here on earth physically, he gave them power to go out and to heal the sick and, and to cast out demons and different things. But now he's leaving and he's saying, I don't want you guys to go back home yet. I'm, I want you to go in Jerusalem and you tarry until you be endued with power from on high. And when he had spoken these words, while, now he's on the Mount of Olives here. While they are standing there talking to him, the Bible says he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into the heavens, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. This is a prophecy of the second coming. And then they returned, the Bible says in verse 12, that they returned unto Jerusalem for the mount, um, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. So, Matthew 24 is on the Olivet Discourse, on the, is the Olivet Discourse, and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives. So we start our tours right there. And then once we leave um, the Mount of Olives, we walk down the Palm Sunday path where Jesus rode the donkey down into Jerusalem. And then we get to the, down at the bottom of here, so it shows you how close everything is. Everybody kept making the comment, wow, everything's so close. It really is. Jerusalem is very, very small. The old city of Jerusalem. So we go from the Mount of Olives right down to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, of Olives to the Kidron Valley. But just before that is the Garden of Gethsemane. I took the group in there. I talked to them about the eastern gate that Jesus will come back through. It's going to be sealed until He comes back through. That's Ezekiel chapter uh, 44. And it talks about the gate being sealed until the Messiah will come through that. It's sealed today. The, um, uh, a Turkish sultan, when the Ottoman Empire uh, was in control, sealed up the gate. It's a prophecy uh, that's going to come to pass in just the very near future. So we talk about the Eastern Gate, and then we turn around, and I talk to them about the Church of All Nations for two minutes, and then we talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where all the old uh, olive trees are. An olive tree is like probably eight or ten, normally eight or ten inches in diameter. Some of those trees are five feet in diameter. So they believe that they could have been there, standing there, possibly the night Jesus prayed, when he was going to be betrayed by Judas. The story is found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 47. The Bible says, Then Jesus came in with them unto a place called Gethsemane. Now, imagine standing in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing Jesus, somewhere in that region, was standing there. It's quite an awesome feeling, folks, i got to tell you. So the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them under a place called Gethsemane, 
and saith unto his disciples, You guys sit here a while, and I'm going to go pray. And he took with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, uh, and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, and he said, O oh, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And no, Jesus was not trying to escape uh, going to the cross. He was not afraid of death. But it was the, the, the uh, sinful cup, the cup of sin for all of mankind that he was going to drink. He was saying, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But uh, not, not my will, but thy will be done. So then he goes back. He's praying. He's, it's, he's a very heavy situation. Comes back to his disciples. He finds them sleeping. And he says unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? And watch and pray that ye not enter into temptation, because Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. So he went away again, and a second time he was praying, and he said, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came, and he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them, and he, and he went away again. And he prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then cometh he to his disciples, and he said unto them, You guys sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour's at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. And rise, let us go, and behold, uh, he, he is at the hand, the one who betrays me. And while he yet spake, Judas, one of the twelve, comes unto him, um, with a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, I've got our group standing right there telling the story, and it's an awesome feeling knowing that Jesus stood there or knelt there and prayed that night and that we're there with Him. I, you can almost kind of, if you know the Lord and you have a relationship with the Lord, you can almost feel His pain as He's getting ready to drink the cup of sin for all of humanity, he's getting ready to taste the and to feel the remorse and the the guilt of every sinner that's ever lived. He's going to feel all of that at one time, and that's why he cried out, "My God, My God, why have thou forsaken me?" It was the he felt the God forsaken feeling that every murderer and adulterer and uh, whoremonger and uh, pedophile and uh, liar and cheat and thief that has ever lived, all of their Everything, all of their feelings of guilt and everything, the sin separating them from God, he was going to feel that all in one moment. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The God-forsaken feeling of every sinner. He felt that in one moment. Then we leave the Garden of Gethsemane and we go down, right down, the, right down around the corner to the Kidron Valley. And we walk down the Kidron Valley. Very few tours go to the Kidron Valley. But, of course, we, we have to go to the Kidron Valley. That's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to culminate. And the tomb of Jehoshaphat is down there. The tomb of Zechariah that are right down there. If you don't go down there, you'll never see them. But in Joel chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
King Jehoshaphat is buried down there, and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So Jehoshaphat's down there waiting on the fulfillment of a prophecy, right? Well, and then Zechariah's tomb is down there. And Zechariah, now the valley, the big valley that's in between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives, that big valley, that's the Kidron Valley. That valley goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. That valley is the one that the world governing armies will come up to invade Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon. They're going to drive the Israeli forces right up the Kidron Valley, right at the gates of Jerusalem. And it's kind of eerie to be down there and thinking, man, this is where the Bible says the blood will flow to the horse bridle. And I tell these stories when we get down there, and I'm telling you, the tour is awesome. And then, Zach, but when uh, Zechariah 14, 1 through 4, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And here it is. And his feet will stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof and uh, towards the east and towards the west. And there's going to be a great valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and towards the south. And so, listen, folks, we're still not even done with our first day of touring. And we've been through all of this already. And so we go down through the Kidron Valley. Then the Pool of Siloam is at the very end of the Kidron Valley. We, 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 um, so we, there, it's under construction right now, so we couldn't go in there. The Pool of Siloam is where um, Jesus healed the blind man. He spit on the ground, made a little clay, put it on the man's eyes and says, Go wash in the Pool of Siloam. Well, the Pool of Siloam is being enlarged right now. and so, But that's down at the end of the Kidron Valley, right there where we get at the end of the city of David. Well, then we go out to Bethlehem. And we'll have lunch in a little shop there, and then we go to the shepherd's fields. Well, of course, what's so big about Bethlehem, right? Well, Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from old to from everlasting. So, it's a prophecy about the Messiah that will be born in Bethlehem. So we take people out to, we have to go to Bethlehem, right? You go to Israel, you got to go to Bethlehem. Well, then we also go to the shepherd's fields. We, t- we take them down into a, a, a cave, which really would have been what a stable would have been like. Not A lot of people, when you see Christmas movies, it's some old shed or something out the back of an inn, but no, that's not it. It would have been like a cave born in a stable, laid in a manger. It would have been like that. So we go down into that at the shepherd's field. And so I'm giving you a recap today of our tour in Israel. Oh, what an exciting tour that it was. Hope you can go with us someday. Symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ part two. The late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. 
Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Now, I want you to understand here, everybody, that all of this we've done, and now we're at the shepherd's fields just outside Bethlehem, and you, you, you guys understood many of the Christmas stories that you've heard, the shepherd's fields there. Well, we're still in our first day of touring. We do all this in the first day. You say, well, what, what really happened out in the shepherd's fields? Well, if you remember the story in Luke chapter 2, verses 2 through 16, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out for a decree from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was the first move made by Serenius when he was governor of Syria. And all went out to be taxed, everyone in his own city. Well, Joseph uh, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into, down into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David. Well... They went there to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, because she was, what, eight, you know, almost nine months with child, or right around nine months. And uh, the Bible says, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the shepherd's field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, I'm standing here telling the story out at the shepherd's field, the shepherd's fields. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you this born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, suddenly there was, they, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And, of course, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Well, hey, we got to go see we got to go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, put yourself in the position of our tour group. I'm telling that story out at the shepherd's field. 
and that was the end. We go back to the hotel, have dinner. That was the end of our first day of touring. Now, I'm going to jump to the point where we went to the Temple Mount. Uh, and, and I told many stories about the Temple Mount, but in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Abraham had to go sacrifice Isaac. And he said unto him, Abraham? And Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, which thou lovest. And I'm leaving out a lot of the Bible here. I just want to tell you about our tour. Take your son Isaac, who you love, and you're going to get into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will show you of, which I will tell thee of. God said this. So God chose the specific mountain where Abraham was supposed to go sacrifice Isaac. Of course, you know the sacrifice didn't happen. God was just uh, testing Abraham to make sure he loved him more than anything. Well, where Abraham was sent by God to sacrifice Isaac, that was Mount Moriah, or where the Temple Mount stands today. That's Mount Moriah. God chose that. Well, I'm standing up on the Temple Mount telling the story. We're standing on the mount where God said, Abraham, go there to sacrifice Isaac. So number one, I know I'm where Abraham stood. I know I'm where Isaac stood. I know I'm where Jesus stood. And where many, King David, Solomon, all of them have been up on this unbelievably famous mountain, Mount Moriah. And then in 2 Chronicles 3.1, the Bible says, Then Solomon began to, to build the first temple, the house of the Lord, at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Here we are again at this special mountain God chose, chose, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place of that David prepared the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. It's where he purchased the threshing floor of Arana to stay the pestilence against the people that killed 70,000 people. It's the same exact mountain. That's the Temple Mount. Now, I know that there are some that claim that the temple was built in the city of David on the south slope, but that's simply not the case. Our, our group stood on the southern steps of the Temple Mount this past week, and I, I told them the different stories, and hey, here's the city of David, here's the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount's just north of the city of David and at a much higher elevation. If you've ever been to Israel, you remember this story. If you've been out on the southern steps, I make sure we take time there because I want to make sure everybody knows what's going on here and they're not following the false narrative that are being taught in so many videos and different things. The, the temples were never built in the city of David. Doesn't the Bible say that they ascended up to the house of the Lord? The Bible says, And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat at his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That was uh, 1 Kings 10, 4-5. The Bible also says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, and he read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. 2 Kings nineteen fourteen, And the Bible says, Then Hezekiah the Lord arose and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 29, 20. So from these scriptures, we know the first temple was not built in the city of David. It was built 
at a much higher elevation on Mount Moriah, which is now referred to as the, the Temple Mount. The Bible actually says that when Solomon finished his, the, the first temple, that he gathered the rulers of Israel and the priests, and they took the implements that are supposed to be used in and the Ark of the Covenant out of the city of David up to the house of the Lord. So don't believe any of the narratives that the temple was built by Solomon in the city of David. Those are simply false narratives, okay? Now, Scripture tells us that the second temple was built in the exact same location as the first temple, up on the Temple Mount. The Bible says, um, When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. This is, the Bible says this. That's uh, Ezra 2.68. That's in the New Living Translation. The Bible says, And he said unto him, uh, Take these articles, go carry them to the temple, uh, the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt, rebuilt on its former site. That's Ezra 5.15. So they, on, they built the, the temple on the exact same spot where the first temple stood. This is the second temple. Um, Ezra 6.7 says, Do not disturb the construction of the temple of the God. Let it be built on its original site, and do not hinder the governor of Judah and the elders of the Jews in their work. So it's, it's easy to see that the first and second temples stood on the Temple Mount, not down in the city of David. And I, want to, I, and I have our tour groups stand on the southern steps so they can see the difference. City of David on the south slope. Temple Mount way up to the north. And it's easy to see. I mean, there are people that are working against Israel saying that, well, the temples really didn't stand up there to understand the city of David. You're working against the Israel cause when you do that. So, make sure you get your stories right. We want you to know the truth. Now, uh, then we go next to the pool of Bethesda. We're doing a lot right here in the next... In the, First several days, right? Uh, and I'm leaving out a bunch of stuff. There's no way I'm going to go through every little detail of the tour, but um, I'm hitting the highlights here. Then we go to the pool of the Bethesda in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. The Bible says, And after this there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem for the three feasts. Um, the feast of Pentecost, the feast of Passover, and the feast of Tabernacles. So they would go to the they would go to Jerusalem during those feasts. And Jesus spent most of his time up at the Sea of Galilee. But he, he would come down to Jerusalem for the feast. So, the Bible says Jesus was up there at the one of the feasts. And now as they're at Jerusalem by the sheep market, there was a pool. Which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. It had five porches. And we, I'm standing here right by the pool of Bethesda telling this story. Now, you see how the Bible's coming alive? Imagine standing there and it happening. The Bible says, In these days um, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, people that were blind and halt, withered, and waiting for the moving of the water. Why? Because an angel would come down periodically at a certain season into the pool, and he would trouble the water. And whoever was the first one in after the troubling of the water he was made whole and whatso of whatsoever disease. Didn't matter if it was cancer, if he was blind, whatever it was. 
The first one in the water, when the angel troubled the water, was healed completely. And so there was a certain man laying there which had an infirmity, get this, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said unto him, Are, will you be made whole? And the impotent man said, Sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when the water's troubled. Uh, and w- w- Because when I try to get there, when I'm coming, another steps down before me. Well, Jesus said unto him, Hey, rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Well, think about this. We're standing there by the pool of Bethesda telling the story. I know for 100% that Jesus Christ stood there. And he did that miracle in that pool, right by the pool. Now, isn't that an awesome feeling? You're getting, it's an awesome feeling for you just to me telling you these stories, right? But imagine standing there where it actually happened. Well, what am I doing? What am I trying to do in the tour? I'm trying to get people, if they're not on the path, I'm trying to get them in alignment with God's plan in the earth. If you've strayed away, it, we've had all kinds of people come on the tour. People that were pastors and people that uh, didn't, know, didn't really know what they believed. And all the way on the tour... I'm trying to align people up with God's plan in the earth. Because they can, I mean, people come on the earth, are on the tour with, they're in turmoil. They've got stuff going on in their lives, a lot of different things. But if I can align them up with God's plan in the earth, they'll be saved. And it can, things can smooth out. I mean, wasn't it Jesus that calmed the Sea of Galilee? And so you think he can't calm the seas in your life? Absolutely he can. And so that, that was the pool of Bethesda. Then we go down to Gush Etzion. Gush Etzion is a very special place for all of us. It's one of the settlements out in the West Bank. Or I should say Judea, which is where we will try to warn the Jews in the end time to come into Israel. Why? Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 through 21. Jesus said, When you therefore shall see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him that's on the housetop, don't go down, get anything out of your house. Neither you're the, If you're working out in the field, don't return back to get your clothes. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Pray your flight is not in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Why? Because then will be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. I tell the people of the story of us going out there to help the Jews in the end time. I've been part of the end time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. 
Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. You know, everybody, what a wonderful Israel tour that we had. Again, we have a lot of people signed up to go in October already, and many that are inquiring about going on the spring tour uh, next May in 2024. So if you're interested in going, all the dates and everything are on, the, on our website, endtime.com, or you can call and talk to my wife, Jana Robbins, or Brittany Motes, and they can get you set up to go and give you the information, everything you need, uh, because it's going to fill up quick. We took 83 people on this group, and man, it was, it was a great group of people. I've got so many new friends and uh, lifelong relationships from that. Now, the next thing is that we will go to, uh, we went to the Jewish Agency, the Absorption Center. Uh, the Jewish Agency has been in business since 1929. You understand Israel came together, uh, uh, declared independence in May 14, 1948. But the Jewish Agency has been there since 1929, helping Jews make Aliyah the journey home from around the world. So, we work with the Jewish Agency to bring Jews back from persecution, uh, the, um, Jewish persecution situations that they're in right now. And we know that in the end, all of Israel is going to be saved. We want to get as many Jews back as we can and to help them from the future Jewish Holocaust that's going to happen. And get this. We have a great working relationship with the Jewish Agency, and my father-in-law had a great working relationship with Devorah Ganani, who's over the Christian, she's the Christian liaison between the Jewish Agency and the Christians. And I didn't know this till this trip. The only plaque recognizing, in the, the only plaque in the Jewish Agency recognizing a Christian minister is devoted to Irvin Baxter. And what a special thing that was for me and my wife to stand there and see that plaque on the wall in Devorah Ganani's office, by the way. And it's the only plaque to a Christian minister in all of the Jewish agency, and it's devoted to Irvin Baxter. It was very, very special for us. And what a great relationship we have then, because you understand, we're going to be influential in getting a lot of Jews back home to help protect them in the end time. And I know a lot of you are vested in that. You love Israel. You want to help Israel. And we were able, because of our faithful partners, to give uh, Devorah a, a check. Uh, and the Bible says, if you, Abraham, I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. So we put our money where our mouth is. And, we, and many of you have as well. And we took the check over there, and it was very awesome. And we're helping Jews. They have the Absorption Center, where Jews back come up from all over the world, and they get them acclimated into uh, Jewish society and the uh, Israel society and wow, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see it happen and very, very, very thankful for that and I was happy to see um, the plaque to my father-in-law it's the first time we've ever seen it and to find out that it's the only plaque that's devoted to a Christian minister in all of the Jewish agency, a huge organization and my father-in-law's plaque is hanging up there, it's pretty awesome to see that um, then we went to, of course, Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum, which uh, I, I, you need to go through one.
because there are so many Holocaust deniers nowadays. But what a horrific situation that the Jews went through uh, in the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Wow. Uh, if you've never been through a Holocaust Museum, you need to go through one to make sure you get your priorities right. I'm telling you. Then we went to the Temple Institute, which has all of the implements for the third temple that would be built, the priest robes, everything. The priests are already trained. Everything's ready to go. They've got a red heifer. And if they can get the red heifer up to of age, they're going to sacrifice that uh, probably sometime next spring. And they'll be pushing, pushing, pushing for an Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement, I promise you, so they can build a third temple. Then we went, of course, wow, the upper room. You say, what in the world happened in the upper room? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, And when the day of Pentecost, uh, 50 days after the resurrection, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Pentecost means 50th, there were all, they were all with one uh, accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from a heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. That's Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. So we go to the upper room where that experience happened. And it's the first time this experience ever happened in history was here in Acts 2, 1 through 4. So we take our tour group up there, uh, and it's a very moving experience. You had a great move of the Holy Ghost in there, and uh, people were just praying and praising God and thanking God for the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And then we go to the garden tomb, and I explained to them really what happened there. When Adam and Eve sinned, we went off into the law of sin and death, which says the soul that sins... It must die. Every human being entered into that law. It was a contract. But Jesus Christ came, and through the act of Calvary, because when you go to the tomb, Golgotha's right there, and then there's the tomb, and I tell the story about um, what really happened there, what Jesus Christ did. The Bible says God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Him. Sin separated us from God, but Jesus Christ was reconciling the world back to Him, and in that, he died, was buried, and rose again. Well, that's how we're saved. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the Apostle Paul gives, pre- pre- um, presents the gospel. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And then he says, By which, you also, are, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that uh, how that Christ died for our sins, there's the death, according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So the Gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And of course, we obey that Gospel um, by being Born again, right? The three steps of salvation. Repentance, baptism, and filling the Holy Ghost. We obey, the, we obey the gospel spiritually. And so it's very, very important that we understand these things. Well, I go through the whole plan there. What really happened on Calvary? What happened when Jesus died? What happened when Jesus was buried? And what happened when He rose again? How do I apply what happened 2,000 years ago to my life today? If you do not understand how to do that, then what was the point in all of it? 
if nobody can understand really what happened at Calvary, why did, why did Jesus even do that? Right? He died in vain, if we can't apply that to our lives, right? So, no, he absolutely did not die in vain. It's the greatest victory that has ever been won. If you don't understand that, if you want to understand, go to endtime.com slash reborn. And you can understand. You, I, it, the, the document will tell you the story that I told everybody at the garden tomb. And because I want, I want them to know what's going to happen before we get up to Tiberias and go into the baptisms. Then we go to, uh, we move away from Jerusalem. Now, we did a lot of other things in Jerusalem. We cram, pack it all. But we spend five or six days there, and then we go up to Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. We do a lot of different things. Had a great move of God out on the Sea of Galilee in the Jesus boat. And then we go to Joppa. Okay, so we go to Joppa first. We're going to end up at the Sea of Galilee later on but all in the same day. So we leave Jerusalem, we go to Joppa, and Joppa is the story of, you go to the place where they believe was Simon the Tanner's house. What's the big deal with Simon the Tanner's house? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 10, a Gentile, Cornelius, was praying. God sent down an angel and said, hey, your alms and your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. Send for one by the name of Peter, and he will tell you what you need to do. Well, they send for Peter. Peter's up on the housetop of Simon the Tanner praying. He sees a sheet come down three times. Hey, Peter, arise, slay, and eat. And it's got catfish and ham sandwiches and all kinds of stuff Jews aren't supposed to eat. Peter said, I can't eat that. It's unclean. The Lord said, whatever I've called clean, don't you call unclean. God's preparing him for something that's coming. Well, it's the first time the plan of salvation is going to be offered to the Gentiles. And oh, am I so thankful for that, right? So I tell the whole story right there at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. It's out by the the Mediterranean Sea. And, of course, Peter then goes with a delegate of uh, um, some Jewish uh, delegates. They go to the uh, house of Cornelius. They preach. While, While Peter's yet preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on the house of Cornelius. They all receive the Holy Ghost. And he says, well, hey, they just received the Holy Ghost like we did in Acts 2. He commanded them to be baptized. And so they were all saved at that point. Well, now the plan of salvation is offered to the Gentiles. And God's working His plan in the earth. You see what's happening? And then we go down just maybe a few miles to Caesarea by the sea. That would be Acts, oh man, Acts probably 25. uh, I'm sorry, Acts 22, 23, 24, 25. I end up in 26 where Paul goes, Paul is there before um, Festus and Felix, but then he ends up before King Agrippa. And this is in Caesarea, uh, Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritima by the sea. And so Paul goes before Agrippa, and you know what happens. He, he, he doesn't go back and say, well, hey, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm... I'm uh, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, look at my pedigree and all this. No. He says, look, Agrippa, I was going to Damascus. I had papers to go there and persecute and kill Christians. And as I was walking along, I was struck bound by a light brighter than the noonday sun. And the Lord says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? 
uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, at that point, his name was changed to Paul. Paul, Saul says, uh, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom they're persecuting. And he's, and he, he was blinded by the noonday sun. He goes into uh, up to Damascus to a street called Straight. And um, Ananias comes and prays for him. You guys know the story. That was his conversion experience. Well, he tells King Agrippa that. And it happened out in Caesarea Maritima by the sea. Tell the whole story in this big uh, amphitheater out there. It's pretty cool. It's really an old one. Then we go up to Mount Carmel. I'm not going to have time to go through the whole thing. But I I just wanted you guys to know um, Mount Carmel. We went to the plain of Megiddo. We went to... Uh, up on the Lebanese border, we went in the Syrian border, the Outlook. We went to Dan, where the two Dan. Uh, we, I told the story about uh, where uh, Jeroboam created the two golden calves. He put one in Bethel and one up in Dan uh, because he was afraid of losing the people from when the kingdoms were divided in Israel and down in um, Judah. And so he says, "Well, hey, if everybody goes down in there, I'm going to lose my kingdom." So. I just want you to know it was a very awesome, rewarding trip. So many people's lives were changed. If you ever get a chance to go with us, all the dates and everything are on the website. Go check them out. But what a trip it was. God was with us, and we will have lifelong friendships because of the spiritual experiences that we had in Israel. It was awesome. And so hopefully you all are following me and Doug and Vince and all of us on the web, on the Facebook, and you can go see all of our pictures and many of the pictures from the tour. And, wow, I I just want to say we love you guys. Thank you so much for following us. Hopefully we'll get to meet you. I've met met so many of you at our conferences and general conference and around the the United States and around the world. We had people in Israel that recognized us. I mean, it was crazy. Um, God really moved on our tour, and I want you to know God will bless you too if you get on board with His plan.